Here we are. Sick. Okay, cool. What up, you guys? Welcome to the Of Like Minds video podcast, episode six today. I have a super special guest today, Joy Erica Diwa, current educator and life coach. Uh, Joy, thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing some time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool, cool. So just um, real quick, for those of you that are tuning in, uh, Joy is actually my mentor from UCLA that where we met. And... Um, uh, both undergrads and she was a year older than me and just kind of want to start today joy just your journey into higher education and so just kind of giving the audience a little context in terms of where you came from where you grew up and just navigating through that mm-hmm. um so i grew up in southeast san diego it's funny because um i think for everyone watching if you know where southeast san diego is i lived probably a mile or two away from Kevin and I had no idea that he existed. Um, and so I went to Nye Elementary, O'Farrell Middle School, and then to Morse. And I lived in PH all my life. And it is, for those of you who live in PH, you understand like the struggle it is, but at the same time, how much love and support there is in the community. And, um, Education wasn't a, it wasn't an option, sort of. My parents just sort of knew that I was going to go to college. I didn't necessarily know where I was gonna go. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a program in high school called Upward Bound from San Diego State where they paid for my applications. And so they forced me to apply to eight different colleges. And I was honestly just like picking and choosing random things because I never felt like I was amazing at a certain subject. And I feel like when you're applying to college, you're sort of like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? (laughs) So um, I just chose English because I was getting A's in English and I liked poetry and spoken words. So like back then, YouTube was like a big thing and we were all like watching YouTube videos all day. So like Shihan and like Def Jam poetry and all that was like really something that I just loved watching. And so I was, you know, in my head, I was like, oh yeah, college is going to be amazing. I'm going to study that. It's not the same. But <laughs> um, I applied and then I got in UCLA. Um, and then because of Bruin Life Weekend at UCLA with prep, I decided that, you know, UCLA was the place I needed to be. And then the rest was history. <sighs> That's crazy. And I think just kind of going back to your roots, I think, um, you coming out of that neighborhood and and obviously i think resources weren't as readily available and maybe in other places and so just if you can just share a little bit i know you talked about the upward bound program that kind of helped with applications and kind of alleviating those fees in terms of applying Mm -hmm. but what about what was it like in terms of resources for college prep courses ap courses um what were those supports like um in high school i was lucky enough to have some really good teachers in high school who sort of made the decisions for me so for example um one of my science teachers she took me out of my chemistry class to put me in her ap physics class because she wanted me in her class um so i've never taken chemistry my whole entire life but (laughs) physics like i'm 
I mean, actually, I'm not that good at physics, but <laughs> I like understand the concepts of things. And um, I think if I took AP calculus, I might have even, you know, went the engineering route. But because I didn't, um, I was definitely more swayed towards English. My AP English teacher was one of the teachers that I felt believed in me the most. But I know it's also because he was Filipino. And mm. so it was one of those things where like, he would talk about culture and things like that. And he like had tattoos on his hand and you know, like he was, he was just that like Kuya uncle. And like, now he's like my mentor cause we work together. And so it's one of those things where um, his classroom is where I felt like I belonged. And because of that, like, I think that's also why I chose English as a major. Um, but as for like other resources, uh, I didn't really have a lot. My parents were always working. Um, you know, it was really just, if you knew how to do your homework, you did your homework. If not, you asked your friends on like TalkBox or whatever we were using <laughs> the webcam with each other. And that was it. That was all the resources I had. Well, that's, that's crazy to, to know that that teacher had that much of an impact on you and to not only kind of help influence your major, but then now just kind of going to current day now. So you're currently working with this teacher and now you're a peer in terms of you guys are in the same establishment you guys are pretty much kind of the same level and so if you can just share like what that adjustment is like going from the student to now like you are my peer it's really weird um, <laughs> so for those of you watching i went to morse high school and now i currently teach there um, and i've been teaching there for five years and what in the beginning it felt like um what's that movie it's a groundhog day when you like relive the same day over and over and so when i was student teaching i just felt like i was in high school all over again like walking through the halls getting my id checked like the same thing um and it was it's it was so weird but because of that i wasn't trying to like make friends with my coworkers because i still felt like i was 17 in their eyes and even though I was like 22 and 23 and figuring shit out and it's like, no, I got a master's degree, um, take me seriously. It still felt like everyone just looked at me like I was still a kid. Mm. Um, it wasn't until about maybe a year ago that I started going out to hang out with them after like school. And um, that was weird, but <laughs> at the same time, like, I can't even, I, like, I personally can't call one of my past teachers by, like, their first names because it's, there's just the whole, like, there's levels to it, you know? It's like, I still put you on a pedestal because you're my teacher mm. and I look up to you, so I'm mm. not going to be, like, rolling up and being like, hey, what's up, John, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, you're Mr. Salunga, you know? And so it's one of those things where, like, I... I respect the boundary, but at the same time now I feel a lot more comfortable because I am, I guess you could say older and more experienced as a teacher. So I feel like our struggles that we go through, obviously, you know, they're at a different like age level, but I feel like the struggles that we go through as teachers are very similar. So in that, I feel like I'm able to level the playing fields because of those experiences. Well, I mean, just, I think that's the dream, right? To, to, to go out and to hang out to, low-key party with your former teachers so if you can just recall or if there's anything you remember like that first time like what was that like because I don't think for those of whoever's tuning in like that's something that I'm sure most of us can't really like relate to and so what was that like <laughs> it's I'm not saying 
we party or do anything but (laughs) (laughs) um I think one it's just being like not in the classroom or like not in a school setting that was sort of a shock to me because it's like if we're all just sitting at the dinner table and like eating and like sharing Mm. food you know it's one it's like you're never you've never been in that setting and for that it was just like I was quiet most of the time and they you know they obviously hang out a lot more um before I joined them and so they're all super comfortable with each other so I'm just sitting around listening to all their conversations um and a lot of time we talk about our students because like we have the same students mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like oh how's this person in your class and you're like oh we did this you're like oh yeah I'm in my class too and so it's like as much as we want to not talk about our jobs and our students we can't help it because it's our whole entire life for the most part and like even when we are relaxed quote unquote we are still worrying about our students and trying to like figure out well what do we do you know i think that's one of the unspoken things about teachers um is that your 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 line of work is something that is, is you're like a parent you're working 24 7 and so I think you just hit on the head and that's pretty incredible to be like man still putting in that work whether it's thinking about or just concerned about or like wondering how they're doing and so shout out to you and all the teachers um, out there you guys are doing incredible and so thank you for that um kind of moving forward and talking about life after Morse and so you have you know you kind of you want to pursue English and just talking about first about getting accepted into college and then kind of figuring out how you kind of narrowed it down to your eventual school of choice. Mm-hmm. So I got into all of the schools I applied to except for UPenn and Point Loma Nazarene. UPenn was my dream school um, because it was one of the, like the top five creative writing schools in the country. Um, but I didn't get in. So I was, pretty heartbroken about that. And then I sort of had to figure out what was the best option for me because I was still in a relationship in high school that I wanted to keep. Um, But at the same time, I wanted to be far away from my parents where I could sort of grow on my own and be independent. And so I think I was deciding between UCLA, UCI, and UC Santa Barbara. And, I think what still the deal really was BLW because I was able to experience what it felt like. I was able to see people who are also Filipino and feel like, oh, I could actually live here. I could be friends with these people. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it was really easy. It was once I went to that weekend, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Um, But I think that's always how I've always been because I don't like to sit on decisions. I feel like I'm very like gut feeling oriented and so if I have that gut feeling where it feels good then I'm gonna do it and so because of that I went to UCLA but at the same time during like orientation I knew that I was very different um, especially coming from southeast San Diego because like I don't know about you but when you have to like fill out all your AP classes and things like that to figure out you know what like the person sitting next to me had like 10 and she passed all of them and I had like three and I only passed one and I was just like, oh, this is a whole different ball game. You know, even though I was like 
I wasn't like mm-hmm. the valedictorian or anything at school. Like I did well enough to, you know, be like the top 10%. Mm-hmm. And then coming to UCLA, I was like, oh, I'm definitely not on the same playing field. And like, I remember my first quarter at UCLA, I wanted to quit because like my English teacher, she like, she posted the good example and then she posted like the bad example and I was the bad example. And I was <laughs> like, yo, why are you gonna do this to me? Well, oh, she didn't put my name wow. or anything, yeah, but you know, yeah. like, like the, that's something about like your self-esteem where like, oh, I thought it was like the shit. And then also mm-hmm. like, oh no, I'm not. But it turns out like I used it as like a learning tool to sort of be like, okay, well, let me go actually, like, let me go talk to her and go to her office hours and actually get help and like learn how to write so that once I do get an A, like I really deserve it. And I know what that feels like, you know? And so as, as like heartbreaking as that was to sit in class and like hear her tear up my paper, um, it felt so good leaving her class and like passing her class with an A because I knew I actually deserved it. Wow, that well, I mean, that example must have like hit deep for you in terms of like that was probably a wake up call to be like, dang. Um, but just to kind of backtrack, just to give people context for those of you who don't know, BLW is Bruin Life Weekend, it's Admit Weekend at UCLA, and they have it pretty much at all schools. It happens like I think mid April, it's a kind of after most of the admits have gotten their acceptance letters and when you kind of um, SIR and do all that kind of stuff. And so that's actually where Joy and I met. Um, and so that's a definitely a, a special weekend where we like officially, like we got to like really like talk somewhat. So just context for that. Um, all right. So UCLA, you, you want to quit. You, you experience this and you start to go to office hours, start to develop rapport with your professor. I think something that you and I can really relate to is being the minority in terms of UCLA is a very well-rounded school, but there is this difference between North Campus and South Campus. And so you and I are both North Campus and mm-hmm. talking about, um, and amongst our friends, mostly, most of them are South Campus and just figuring out, okay, how do you, how do you hang with them? How do you see yourself as on an equal playing field? Maybe the resources weren't there. Like you said, the lack of the AP classes that are provided. So just talking about just being a North Campus major and just kind of expanding on that, what that was like. I think it's a lot um, to, it's sort of, you know how you have like the left brain and the right brain. And so you have like, you know, the whole creative aspect of your life and the whole feeling. Um, And then you have the whole logical, practical side. And I feel like obviously we're in the more creative and feeling type, but that's also just like who we are as people. And I feel like that's why we relate to people so much. And we like rely so much on our community and the conversations that we have, obviously like right here. Um, But I think that's what kept us so able to be friends with people who are more logical because we sort of balance them out in being able to have empathy and to feel and to understand and question what they do and what they care about because then they can also help us think logically and you know keep that balance and so for me as much as i love being a like north campus 
major, a lot of the times, like sometimes it gets exhausting because everyone's so used to talking about their feelings and what they want and their dreams and their passions, which is great. But sometimes you just want to like sit there and like listen to someone who doesn't like study the same things you do. I think it's a lot like relationships where like you don't want to be with someone who is the same because mm. then like, yeah, you have things in common, but you can't grow from that. You know, you can't learn something new. You can't engage in a conversation that has a different perspective. And so because of that, I think that's why we were able to get along with like, for example, all your roommates, you know, who are, you know, focused on like being engineers and like nurses and things like that. And so it's just like, it's a completely different playing field, but it's a playing field that, you know, we are allowed to access because of the friendships that we have. Mm, exactly. And so you have that balance, you being a North Campus major and having that balance of having, you know, friends pursuing other things at UCLA. What about the balance of outside the classroom? What did you kind of do outside the classroom at UCLA? What didn't I do? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I worked a lot. I worked everywhere all years. I think I started off at the John Wooden Center and then I, um, as like a front desk at the gym, and then I became the receptionist at the writing center and then I became an RA. But on top of that, I was also involved in PrEP, which was the organization that held BLW. And so I took up all those different roles from the coordinator to internal director to external director. And then I also danced on Samong Modern. Um, and then I did SPCN and all that stuff with the Filipino organization there. And so it, my schedule is pretty packed. <laughs> to, say, to say the least, you know, there's like a little space. So how are you, how are you balancing this? Cause I'm, I'm imagining you're probably doing anywhere between 15 to 20. And I know for you, there's points where you were at more 15 to 20 units. We'll just give it that doing all these extracurricular activities. What was that like in terms of time management, in terms of balancing all these different things, especially as an 18, 19 year old, when you're first coming in, what was that like? Um, it was hard, honestly. I had to learn a lot of things, um, especially the hard way. Um, I, my first year, I wasn't eating as well as I should have. And also just like with scheduling, I was like, I, if I had to choose sleep or eat, I was going to sleep because I was so tired. Um, and because of that, I ended up losing 15 pounds instead of gaining the freshman 15. <laughs> and so, because all I was eating was like chicken nuggets and curly fries from late night, you know, because that was the only time I was actually awake. And, you know, that was the only thing that was open. Um, and I lived in Bextra, so it was right there. So um, it got to the point where I was literally on like a chicken nugget french fry diet. And because of that, I lost 15 pounds. Um, and obviously, like just my mood shifted because I wasn't eating well. Um, eventually I got my life together and I started eating a lot healthier and started exercising. I started doing yoga in the mornings, um, more so as a mood change rather than like a exercise mm. because like mentally I was checked out. If you, like, if I, th if I try to think about what I did in college, I can't remember a large chunk of it. And I'm learning, I'm learning that it's because of like trauma um and 
we'll talk about it later in my life coaching stuff, but a lot of it is like when you go through traumatic experiences, either through your body or through, you know, your, your memories in your brain, your body will not store these memories into like your filing cabinet in your brain. And so a lot of my high or a lot of my college experiences, I can't really remember. There's only bits and pieces, but that's because I was so stressed and because I was doing too much or not taking care of myself. Um, but I think what really helped me at least towards the end of um, my college experience was my passion planner. And so this is mm. like a shameless plug. Um, but so Angel, I don't know if you know, but Angel, the CEO actually went to UCLA. And so mm. um, I was friends with her and we were eating in front of BCAF one day. And she like just came back from her travels and she was like, hey, I think I'm going to start making a planner. And I was like, all right, go ahead. You do it. Um, and then she let me test out one of the first planners and I printed it out and everything. And I loved it because it literally scheduled every single aspect of my day or it gave me the opportunity to, but it also gave me time to sort of reflect and ask myself questions about, well, what did I actually enjoy? What am I proud of? How am I feeling? And so a lot of the times when you're living in LA, you're so used to that hustle where you just keep going. And once you finish something, you already have something next to do on your to-do list. So you don't really have that time to take a break, to breathe and to actually reflect on what you did. And so because of my passion planner, like I slept with that thing because it was one of, it was the one thing that kept me organized, but also it made me feel like I was doing something for myself. And so once I started looking at the work that I was doing in a more meaningful sense of like, why am I doing this? What is the bigger purpose? Then I started to feel more passionate about the things that I was doing um, and make me feel like, okay, this matters. And if it didn't matter, and if I couldn't figure out why it mattered, then I would take it off my plate. Mm. That's huge. I think um, that bouncing act of figuring out what works for you, what moves you, what's going to benefit you. Um, I feel like I don't know if you were a victim of this, but just being yes woman or yes man in, in college, mm -hmm. you wanna you wanna do everything inside the classroom, outside the classroom, socially. Um, it, it it doesn't matter. And so I think an another big thing that you know the audience might not know about you, but you've been dancing for a long time, and I know that that was a big role for you in college as well. And so you being on Samhung Modern and practicing, you know, later at night, and then you starting to do these yoga classes early in the morning and you having to study for finals and you're having to read and do assignments what was that balance like in terms of I need this for myself but then also knowing when I had to pull back and to kind of like watch out for your health so what was that like um it was a hot mess I'm not gonna lie <laughs> um, I think um there well so I've been a part of the dance community, at least in the San Diego dance community since like the fourth grade. Um, and it was my, I guess if you're talking about like resources and support systems and things like that, like the dance community was my escape um, from school, from like living at home and things like that. It was always like, I'm gonna go dance or I'm gonna go to the dance studio to go practice. And so on and off since fourth grade, I eventually fell into um, like indecisive dance crew, which was like a super huge thing. Um, and then because of IDK and being on IDK, I decided to be on Samahong because I felt that same 
like love and the community and the support system. And so I started off being on Samhang my first year more so for the community aspect and to sort of learn like LA dance style back then was a lot different than it is now, but it felt good to learn new things. And so because of that, it was one of my escapes from school. You know, I wasn't doing so well in my English classes, obviously. And I just wanted to do something fun to like let loose. And so there's all these like older people telling me, you know, giving me advice and things like that. I remember like being at a Samahong like party and like writing my essay like on someone's bed but <laughs> someone in Samahong was also an English major so he was sitting next to me and he was helping me out you know and so it's like it's that form of like community and support because we all know that like life is hard and school is hard and we all just want to succeed um, but by the time I got to like my fourth year it was so hard to pick and choose what I wanted because I was a one I needed to get my GPA up to apply to grad school. And I also had to take the GRE and all of like the tests you need to get into grad school. But I was also working as an RA. And so if you don't know what an RA is, it's being a resident assistant. And like, you have to work your night shifts where you have to make sure people aren't smoking or doing bad things. <laughs> but on top of that, I was also on Samahong. So my practices were at nighttime. And so I had to be smart and so I became the person to create the schedule so that I could try to make sure that my schedule didn't conflict with dance practice. And so if it did, I would have someone like hold my radio and like hold my shift and I would run to dance practice, like learn choreo within the 20 minutes, then pass the piece and I was like, I'm probably not gonna be in the piece, but it's okay, I'm gonna pick and choose my battles, at least I was here, mm. and then like leave, go run back to the hill, grab my radio, and then go back on duty to do homework, you know, and so it's like, it, it was a hot mess, but it did teach me like, what was important, like I said, and also um, how to like pick up choreo because I used to be really bad and so it's like if you're constrained in a time crunch you got to do what you need to do and be efficient so you got to pay attention and you got to yeah. do what you do but because I learned that it made studying a lot easier mm. because you know I always said like if I could learn content just as fast as I can pick up choreo then I would be perfect right and so because of that I was trying to identify what I did dance wise and how to incorporate it into studying so because of that I would do dance routines while I studied and remembered like definitions and stuff so that once I reviewed the dance routine then I would remember the definition you can associate or whatever yeah so it was <laughs> like it, it's weird I mean I, I always had to warn my professors like before I took my test like I'm not cheating. I'm not like, there's nothing wrong with me. This is how I can remember the content. And, you know, they judge me for it. But once like I got the A, I got the A, you know? And so I did what I had to do. But I think the little things like that make you realize like, well, what skills do you have and how can you transfer it into other avenues of your life so that you can still be successful? Mm, super, super big and super huge. And I think when you talked about that commitment of having someone hold your radio and you run a practice and, and you said just, just being there and being present. I think, especially in today's day and age where things are so quick and so fast and we expect results to happen, you know, overnight, just talking about being in the moment, the importance of that, mm -hmm. even 
in an environment like UCLA where things are going a thousand miles per hour and having to balance this. So just talking about being in the moment in other spaces too, and what that was like for you. It, when I think about being in the moment, a lot of it, I mean, it, we talk, we could talk for days about how dance is universal to everything that you are, but I feel like the, the only times that I feel in the moment and where I have time to like, be like, oh shit, this is like, I love this is dancing like on stage or competing. Um, and it's like that moment right before it starts when you're all just like sort of standing there. And then there's like that quick moment during like your performance when you're like, you like catch eyes with the, like your teammate and you're like, yo, this is happening. You know, all our hard work is like, yeah. this is it, this is it. And then at the end, when it's like, you take that like final, like big breath, you'd be like, yo, we just did that. Um, and I feel like it's that feeling that is so irreplaceable. And I feel like that's why a lot of dancers have such trouble saying like, no, I'm gonna stop dancing because that feeling is like a drug. And mm. it's like, it's something that we can't replicate in anywhere else because like of the magic that it holds. But I think it's also because of, you know, the work and the progress that you've made to get to that point. And so it's like, that is your time to sort of like, think back of all the hard work and all the practices and all the bruises and like all the days you had to wear icy hot and like all that <laughs> struggle and pain, like it will get you to that point And you're like, yo, this is it. This is what it feels like. This is what it's for. And um, when it boils down to it, it's understanding your why and why you want this and like why it makes you feel so alive. And I feel like I'm still learning about those spaces that I can have in my life now that I'm no longer dancing. And mm -hmm. so it's, um, I'm not saying that I will eventually find that spark and that feeling, but I know that I'm hopeful for it to find that space where I feel the same way I do as I did when I was dancing. Mm. Amazing. And so, you know, those things have impacted you and taught you to be in the moment and in a crazy place like UCLA. And so what comes to mind post-grad, grad school? Grad school, more specifically, <laughs> for those of you just tuning in um, that don't know Joy, um, this woman um, had the awesome idea of doing grad school in a year. She did a year program, and which is incredible. But that's, <laughs> it sounds like a lot. And so grad school, what comes to mind? Oh, not good feelings. No, just kidding. Um, so, well, okay, I do have to correct you. So I got, it's technically a two-year program, but the first year is your, where you get your teaching credential. The second year is your master's. And so technically, if you, if you want to be specific, it's two years. But did I do all my master's stuff in a year? Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was a hot mess. I think it, I can't even... Okay, so I decided to go into grad school because I knew that I wasn't ready to fully be a teacher. I took the visual and performing arts education minor. You took it too, right? Yeah. 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 So I took that and I was like, yo, this is cool. But do I feel ready to like be the only teacher in the classroom? Like, let's go help the youth. <laughs> no, I was not ready. I think I needed mm -hmm. more um, 
like the, I'm very like theory based and evidence based and I want to know like yeah I'm doing this but why am I doing it was there a reason behind this and so I wanted grad school just to for the fact that I wanted to learn more and to be better so that I could be better for these kids and so I applied to grad school literally uh in December of my fourth year in college and so I had no life I put a pause on a lot of things just to get my GPA up, take the GRE, like I took the GRE a week after finals and then a week <laughs> after the GRE, I took the CSET in order to, you know, get, like become an English teacher and things like that. It was a hot mess. It was real stressful, but I got in, graduated from UCLA, two months later I started grad school. And so there was, there was no pause at all. Um, Where did you go by the way, for those of you that don't know? I went to the University of San Diego um, in the SOULS program. So I, um, it's a two-year credential and master's program. So I got my teaching credential in English and my master's degree in curriculum and instruction. And it was two years. So the first year was hard to adjust also because like USD is a private school and it's also um, not full of people that look like me mm. and so it was hard coming from like UCLA where like I know we're not like super diverse but I had a community there and so coming to USD I was like one of three Asian people um and one of five people of color in my cohort and there was like 30 of us you know so it's one of those things where like you're sitting in class and you don't see anyone who looks like you and you're just like no one shares the same experiences that I do. Um, especially like we had to take classes about learning about um, people in like low income areas and things like that. And like in the book, it even talked about like Southeast San Diego. And so it's like, of course my professor is gonna be like, can you share your experience? Like, no, I don't wanna share my experience. Like I didn't volunteer, <laughs> you know, but because I live in this community, I have to shed some insight on people. And so it's one of those things where like, the first year was so hard because I felt like I didn't belong in that space. Um, my second year was a little bit better because I started to open up to people and just like actually make friends. And uh, your second year, you also get to choose your classes. And so I started choosing classes, um, honestly, with professors of color because I was like, I don't have to explain myself here. And I will actually learn and grow from these people because they are in these spaces already. Hmm. Well, that's amazing. And I think first, I just would love for you to shed light on just, I mean, thank you for correcting me that <clears throat> the two-year program and obviously USD private school, you have a passion for education. You have a passion for connecting. Um, but there's also the elephant in the room of going to grad school and going to grad school to private school, it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so what was that decision for you? What was that like in terms of figuring out the pros and cons of what can this, what can this do for my career? How is this gonna, you know, how is this also gonna like, you know, go against me in some ways? What was that conversation like? Um, to be honest, I mean, as much in college, I knew money was always a struggle um, and I tried to like find ways to um, save money or to be smart with my money. Um, but I, it was with applying to grad school, what it came down to was deciding 
what I really wanted to do with my life, you know, and I didn't want to take my education for granted. A lot of the times, you know, at UCLA, I was like, wow, this is really great. I learned so much. I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck am I going to do with it? You know? And so it's like, I want to be able to share this with my students or, you know, with other generation, but I don't necessarily know how, or I don't know how to do it well. And so because of that, like grad school was, it was, I knew I needed to do it. And money wise, um, USD provided scholarships um, right off the bat because they knew that I came from a low income family. And so it was sort of, I also wanted to be in a school where there was a small cohort where I felt like I could have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with my um, professors. But also I think there was like at UCSD, there was a, like your big master's thesis versus USC was like a, it, you still had a thesis, but it wasn't to the extent of like UC standards. And so because of that, I was like, okay, but like, I'm not like that good at research. So maybe this will be a lot easier for me. And so because of that, I did choose USD. Um, money wise now it's, I'm trying to figure it out still, honestly, and I'm still in debt, but I think what it comes down to it is like, I will never take my ed education for granted. And so, yes, I will have to pay um, all this money back, but there are ways that I sort of come to peace with it because of what I realized, what I've learned and the experiences that I have. And honestly, like I wouldn't trade that for the world. Um, I know that if I was in a different space, like I know for a fact, if I stayed in San Diego for college my life wouldn't be the same as it is now because mm -hmm. I left and because it made me realize how much I love my community and how much my community is shaped who I am now and so because of that that's why I come back and that's why I give back because it um it means so much more to me now because of the fact that I left mm -hmm. so you needed you almost needed to be away from it to miss it to truly understand how much it means to you mm -hmm. and I think that's a big thing I think that's a big thing um financials is always going to be a thing for every person. Um, and I think if you can just speak about that investment of going to college and taking that leap of faith and leaving and maybe taking a little more of a risk, but just sharing a little more on what that ultimately did for you. There's this, there's this burning sense of confidence and of knowing what you want to do that I get. But if you can just share with those that you know don't know you as well or that are just tuning in, about what that leap of faith was like and how that's ultimately uh, changed your life, even if it was a big investment. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I think about that, it makes me think of this quote that says like, doubt kills more dreams than failure. And mm -hmm. I feel like because of that, I never wanted to doubt what I wanted to do. And like I said earlier, I'm very like gut feeling oriented. And so it's like, if it feels good in your gut, then take that leap. Um, once you start to doubt yourself, then you're going to stop and things won't work out the way that you want it. Right. But if you keep believing in the positivity and looking at your experiences more as like new experiences to learn and to teach you things, whether it be good or bad, then it will definitely change your life. Um, I always tell my students, like, don't do bad things, but if it's bad, make sure it's good. And so it's <laughs> one of those things where, like, <laughs> I mean, you can take that whatever way that you want to take it. But at the same time, it's like, always look at your experiences as good experiences because it's going to help you one way or the other, right? So I really didn't have 
All right, living in Southeast, you're gonna hear like racing. <laughs> um, I didn't have the choice to be like, oh, is this good? Is this bad? Like, no, I'm just gonna freaking do it because it's an opportunity that was handed to me, you know? And mm. I, I think living in Southeast, or I mean, I can't speak for everyone else, but it's like, if you have an opportunity to get yourself to another level of growth, then you're gonna take it um, because like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, I don't understand why you wouldn't. And so it's like, it, because I had that mindset and that, that eagerness to adapt to my situations when times get hard, I was able to sort of just take every experience and every opportunity that came my way. Hmm. That's huge. Um, thank you. And so going from that, kind of backtracking again, before you go to grad school, you experience four years of probably the most growth that you can experience in a four-year period. You know, 18 to 22 is it's incredible. You live independently, time management, um, you learn about yourself, how you deal with adversity. Now you're making this move and now you know you want to go to grad school. So this is 2014 for you, I believe. Mm-hmm. And obviously the smart decision and the right decision, you, you move back to San Diego. More specifically, you're going back home. That transition, that adjustment of going from being more independent to now being back under um, your parents' home. What was that? What was that transition like? It was weird, honestly. I mean, because like, I, if I wanted to go to McDonald's at like eleven o'clock, my mom'd be like, "Where are you going?" You know, and so it was like. <laughs> Or, like, I would still be in class. Like, my my mom didn't understand the concept of, like, night classes. And so it would be, like, 7 p.m. And I would be in the middle of class. And my mom called me. And she was like, where are you? It's time for dinner. And I'm like, I'm in class. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm at school. And I will be at school for another hour, you know. And so it was, it was weird. Um, and it was also interesting because, like, when we, turned to, when we turned 21, we were in L.A. And so we have, like, the Westwood bubble. But when you, when you come to San Diego and you're like, I was like, I turned 22 and I was like, well, what the heck? Like, what is this North Park? What is like, what is all of this? Because I didn't grow up in that space when I was 17 years old. And so I had to relearn what San Diego was all about. Plus I had a better working car. So it'll take me all the way to like convoy. And so, I mean, but I think that was like the beauty of it because it gave me a chance to like relearn my city and figure out, excuse me, uh, figure out what I really loved about San Diego because I was looking at it through a different perspective because I was a lot older. Hmm. And so you being back home, obviously that, that kind of, you know, transition of understanding like what are these night classes are like, if you can just speak a little bit about what was support system like at home I guess even maybe during high school and even throughout college and then you know when you at the time when you moved back home what just what the support system was like um it's funny that you asked that because like now that I've spoken to I realized that when it boiled down to it my support system was the dance community um through and through because when I came back to grad like when I came back to San Diego for grad school um I immediately auditioned for major league crew with Mikey Messina and it was like that's what it came down to because when I was like sad or when I was I would teach all day 
go to grad school at nighttime and right after grad school I would go straight to practice and I guess that routine like felt very similar to undergrad where I would go to school go to work do what I needed to do and then go to dance practice and so um, aside from that feeling of routine it was also just feeling alive and feeling like able to breathe and move and to exercise and to do something for myself and to like be in that space where there are other people who are there too because like what I loved about major league is you know we were all different ages but we all like had jobs (laughs) all in school you know we're all adults and it wasn't like a competition or it wasn't a competitive team and so Mm -hmm. like that feeling of like yo I'm just gonna come here to dance you know and I want to learn this and like I like obviously we still performed and stuff like that but it wasn't uh for like a competition it wasn't like stakes weren't as high and Mm -hmm. so the pressure wasn't like there to like be perfect and to always like be there like we just wanted to like dance and to feel good again and I feel like I needed that space especially coming home to like one gain more self-confidence in myself but two also to just like breathe and to feel because I wasn't giving myself a chance to do that in the other spaces that I was in and how how long were you doing major league crew on top of grad school and on top of teaching and working how long was that for I think it was like a year and a half I had to stop right before my thesis was due like right before I graduated (laughs) Because I was I like, I, I can't do this. Um, I think we were, we were like hitting like a like 2 a.m. practices. And I was like, y'all, I got work. I got to wake up at work at 6, you know. And so it was like, um, it, as sad as I was to be like, you know, this is my last performance. Like it, it was a decision that I wanted to make for myself because it gave me the opportunity to find other spaces to feel like, you know, to feel that same way I did. And so because of that, I started boxing um, Mm. instead of dance. But it's nice to know that I can always like come back to dance, um, you know, to feel that same type of way in whatever studio that I'm in, whether it be like Culture Shock um, or like a space in LA and things like that. Um, But it also gave me time to become the dance advisor for Morse High School which also comes full circle because I was on the dance team in high school. And so it's nice to, um, I don't necessarily like train them or anything, but it's nice to be able to watch them grow and to like fall in love with dance and hip hop and things like that. Um, so that they can, you know, set a good foundation for themselves if they do continue to dance after high school. Wow. That's incredible. I think, um, just to like, like retouch with your story. I'm like, man, I forget that that five and a half, six year period of you, you know, from 18 to basically 24, 25 here, you go to the, one of the top universities in the world and do a lot that can't even be covered in just one video um, inside and outside the classroom. And then, you know, going to grad school and doing that for two years and then, you know, kind of forgetting that you were still dancing and you were still teaching. And so I'm wondering, that's six years of, pretty much on a nonstop schedule and what that burnout was like for you and how that kind of, I guess, influenced the next decision in terms of like how you navigate it outside of that. What was, I can't imagine what that was like. Um, it was, it was real. <laughs> I think to, I guess to put it in perspective, one, I started having a lot of anxiety attacks. Um, 
and a lot of that was rooted between the imposter syndrome, not getting enough sleep, and like putting others before myself. Um, and I guess like what it felt like and what like burnout for me felt like was like waking up with an elephant on my chest and like struggling to get up to pull myself up, like forcing food down myself to eat for breakfast just because I knew I needed to eat it, but not really like tasting anything. Um, and then just like chugging coffee to survive. And like with that, it, I could feel myself changing as an educator because as much, it, it was sort of like trying to like drive a car with no gas, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you want to do it, you want to move, but at the same time, like you're not going to go anywhere. And so like I could feel myself losing that connection with my students or losing that like passion um, to teach because I was sort of just like going through the motion and doing what I needed to do just to get through the next day just so I could go to sleep. Um, and I was realizing that one, obviously this was toxic and I couldn't be doing this for myself. Um, but two, I needed to change because I didn't want my students to be affected with the way that I was feeling. And so um, last January, I decided to become a life coach. And so I paid for my certification course. And so I'm still currently taking it. I graduate in July. Um, but what it came down to it is like, I love what the aspect of teaching that I love is having those conversations with my students to one, make sure that they're, they feel safe, um, two, to let them be vulnerable and to let them authentically be themselves and three, to watch them grow. And that's what I love so much about teaching, teaching content wise, not my favorite, you know, but I can do it. It's just not what I find passion in. And so I realized like, as much as I love teaching kids who are like 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, I realize there needs to be a space for people our age to also be able to live authentically and to be vulnerable and to talk about what they believe in and their passions um, and to sort of fight the imposter syndrome. Because I feel like a mm. lot of us our age, once we're once we finish school or if we go to school at all, whatever we're doing and our projects and our passion projects and what we believe, like we get stuck. And we don't feel like one, we're worthy enough or that we can pull through unless we do have that positive mindset, right? But sometimes when shit hits the fan, we're like, all right, that's it, I'm done, you know? And so I wanted to be able to be that person to create that space for people our age to sort of figure out like, okay, what's going on with my self-confidence? What are these conversations that I'm having with myself and how can I change, right? And so the whole idea of being a life coach isn't necessarily like therapy. I'm not gonna sit here and talk to you about your past, but it's more so like, where are you now? Where do you wanna be in the future? And what's getting in the way of that? And so I have to ask, I don't have to, but I get the privilege to ask you the questions that you don't normally ask yourself so that you can sort of elevate yourself into where you wanna be. Wow, oh, that's incredible. I think you, I think you kind of said it and you're not giving yourself enough, enough credit, in my opinion, you talking about the, you teaching content, like not so much, but teaching life, um, you feel, you know, better at that. I think for me, I view so highly in terms of being an educator. And I think that you're great in both. And I think I'm really excited to see this take off. Um, because I can feel the passion. I remember when you were first kind of talking about it and telling me, I'm like, whoa, like that, that makes sense. That is, 
that is like the perfect fit and so it's just really awesome to hear like kind of the, for the first time really like hearing like the ideas and what it's going to offer and so um i'm excited to see that when that that fully takes off and i, I mean if you want to share just a little bit more about when that can when that's possibly going to happen you, you talked about you're going to be graduating in july um maybe mm-hmm. who you're going to cater to what kind of the outlet that people can find you um for for life coaching um just any details that you can at least disclose right now yeah so i am currently taking uh free clients just to you know get practice and things like that so if you are looking to talk to someone about um you know, figuring out where you can bring your self-confidence up and your self-esteem up or to find your passion and to really talk about why things are important to you or to really just have someone to share what experiences and the stories that you have and what you're bringing to the table, um, I'm here for you. I'm currently talking to any creative millennial, but I am sort of leaning towards um, helping women of color. Um, If you are interested, then I would love to talk to you and you can find me on Instagram at be my own joy. So B-E-M-Y own O-W-I joy. Um, My website will be up in August, hopefully, cross fingers. Um, But for the most part, like I'm willing to talk to anyone for free um, who just, you know, needs some love and some support. Yeah, and I think, um, again, this is one of those things where this is an opportunity, guys, for those of you tuning in. Um, and I'm obviously biased because you and I are extremely close. But I've known you for a while, and you've put in a lot of time, blood, sweat, and tears um, investing into this. And you're passionate, and I think that's a combination that's going to be successful is going to take you through the roof and so for those of you who know like like just i think offering anything free of charges is incredible so we'll definitely link you know your your handles in the description and then when you get the website hopefully we can also add that to you once that eventually goes up but please 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 definitely check in on that you guys you don't want to miss that especially while it's still free <laughs> <laughs> one month starting <laughs> starting the day that this is released that's right? it <laughs> um, your girl needs some money i'm <laughs> right that grad school that private grad school (laughs) um i think kind of wrapping just the career that you're in and Mm. currently going and transitioning to life coaching but you know still being a teacher and i think just talking about that dynamic of still being a teacher but you're one of those teachers that i know that you still treat yourself as a student even in a place of that you have that platform to be seen as like the leader um maybe what that's like and how that's helped like how that's helped you grow as a teacher just having that mentality of being open to learning um if you can just talk a little bit about that yeah um i think what i learned after talking to my life coach is the reason why we have these Um, the imposter syndrome is because if you walk into a space thinking that you know that you have all the answers, then you're going to let imposter syndrome win because obviously you don't. Um, And so it's owning up to the fact that like you don't have all the answers. You're not an expert in anything. Um, As much as you know things, there's always room for improvement. And so I walk into life coaching and being a teacher the same way as I do with everything else in my life. It's like, I don't have all the answers, but I can try. And if I don't have all the answers, then I can learn. 
Um, and I treat my students and I treat my clients the same way because they are the expert of their lives. You know, ultimately they're the ones who make all the, deci the decisions. I can tell you what to do and I can give you like tips and things like that. But when it comes down to it, like you're the one who decides what you want for yourself. And so I can't get mad at you for making that decision, but you have to learn about the consequences that you're going to have, you know? And so it's, it gives you the opportunity to realize like you can't control everyone. The only person you can control is yourself. And so it's, you can't take home all the things that happen at work. You know, you can't take home all the experiences that your client has. Like it's not on you. You know, I can't, be you i can't put myself in your body and make the decision for you it's really up to you and because of that like it helps me feel like you know if i come in helping people with good intentions and with love then i've done my job you know because mm -hmm. that's all i can do and that's all i want to do and the rest is really up to the people that i help and the and the students that i teach you know it's it's what they make of it and what they make of the experience that we had together that's amazing. That's incredible. Um, I think something I do want to ask, and you've come a long way. You've built something up from, I think, a place that, you know, a lot, a lot of people that come from where, you know, we come from or where we've grown up, um, it's not always expected. It's not something that you, you're definitely in the smaller percentile of achieving what you've achieved. And I feel like you're even just scratching the surface, but kind of just being grounded and coming back to thinking about all this knowledge, all this experience, all this rich adversities, triumphs that you've faced in your life, in the workplaces, the environments, the spaces you've been involved in inside and outside the classroom. What would you share to a 13, 14 year old joy or for whoever's viewing or tuning in onto this and in a time where there's a lot of question marks in a time where things are kind of almost put on a standstill. Mm -hmm. And even if that wasn't a thing, just navigating through a world that a lot of things are misconstrued. And I think you and I even just understanding a little bit better than what we were 10 years ago. What would you say to, you know, 13, 14 year old self that's kind of just starting life, like early in high school, um, a viewer that may or may not know you, um, just sharing some words of advice, words of wisdom, um, anything you'd like to impart. Yeah, um, I think there's two things. So the first one is to reframe your conversation. And so a lot of what we believe and what we think um, tends to be negative, unless, you know, we just are always positive. If you're, if you're positive all the time, all props to you. But a lot of times we turn to think oh I have to do this I have to go to work or I have to do this and oh this sucks life sucks but you you're the only person who's saying that you know and so if you change the conversation and you change the perspective like oh I get to go to work because you know like I have this opportunity to make money or to help people or um, like I get to go to work so I can pay for this like apartment that I'm living in um, I get to have this, this conversation with my significant other and even though it's difficult at least we're working towards you know something positive right and so it's reframing your conversation in the situation that you're in the second thing is to also remind yourself what 
you bring to the table and how you feel about those qualities about yourself. And that's really hard. And so it's, mm. it's something that I'm still working on and I, I work on it a lot. Um, but it's one of those things that we, like you said, we take ourselves for granted and we don't really celebrate the things that we're good at or the things that we share and that we bring to the table. And it takes a while to sort of own up to that. But I feel like the moment you own up to your strengths, then you can like, can I use this in other spaces or with other people so that you can do good for the world? Because essentially like nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to be like the world's going to still be shitty but at least you can still make some form of change in your life or in someone else's life. And I feel like I've lived my life to sort of help at least one person. You know, if I help one person, then that person's going to help someone else and it's going to domino effect so that eventually the world's going to be a better place. And I think for me, it's, if you have trouble figuring out the qualities of yourself that are good, ask five people in your life that you hang out with all the time what mm. they like about you and it's weird and it's kind of scary to be like hey we hang out a lot but i also i'm having trouble trying to figure out what qualities are good about me like all you got to do is ask you know and so by doing that one you're building a relationship with someone because you're like hey i'm being vulnerable and i need you to help me out but two you're also seeing what you look like to other people mm. and because of that, that sort of opens your eyes and gives you a better perspective of how people see you. And if, it, if that's not how you want people to perceive you, then change. But if it is, then accept it because that's what you're doing for people and that's what people love about you. So why can't you love yourself that way? That is absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> UCLA alumni, USD grad alumni, current English teacher, at Morris High School and also life coach. I think even someone who is achieved and has gone above and beyond, it's still amazing to, to hear your story and to be vulnerable and to share that you're still working on those things. And for those of you that are tuning in and listening, that whatever stage you are at, um, we're always gonna be working on something. You don't have to have all the answers and you're not alone. And even someone as accomplished as Joy, is working on things just as much. So I hope that you can take her narrative and use it as inspiration into moving on with your day, moving on with your life, your year, and just to push forward and to keep pushing through. But um, Joy, thank you so much for sharing your time, sharing your narrative, and for just, you know, being vulnerable and just giving, giving me a lot of a sense of inspiration and encouragement um, for my life. So just thank you for joining the podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. I liked it. Yay. Thank you guys for tuning in on the Of Like Minds video podcast, episode six. We will, we will catch you guys on the next one. Later.